Welcome to the Stay Ready Real Estate Podcast, where we stay ready so you don't have to get ready. My name is Emeka, and I'll be talking to many different people in the real estate industry that will help you buy your first real estate investment. At the end of each podcast, I'll give you three actionable steps that you can do today to help you get 1% closer to your first property. My goal with this podcast is to show the world that regular people like you and me can buy real estate property to build wealth. Today, we have Justin. Justin was once a highly recruited engineer who became a full-time multifamily investor in his 20s. Just two years in the business, Justin has been involved in more than 40 plus real estate transactions and is a primary investor in multiple generational wealth deals where he has created over $1 million in equity. His quick success is attributed to his strong support system and his expertise in direct seller marketing to close off-market properties. As a go-giver and a firm believer in adding value to others, Justin founded the NoStressDTS.com as a roadmap for investors to navigate the intricacies of direct-to-seller marketing. Justin has been featured on numerous podcasts and is a cash flow cowboy. Let's listen to Justin. Justin, can you let everybody know who you are and what you do? So I am the cash flow cowboy. I was an engineer at one point in my past, but I am now a multifamily real estate investor specializing kind of in that like private select area, kind of like anything 10 to 100 units or whatever. But if I'm being honest, we've kind of been having a lot more success kind of on the small, smaller side with some six units, some eight units and, you know. 12 units and now we got you know some 14 15s and, and even 27 so we're starting to get larger and larger unit counts but that's kind of just how the journey has taken us and just keep trying to buy some generational wealth so we can achieve that financial freedom as soon as physically possible <laughs> i love it i love it you said you were an engineer and i know for a fact that you know to be an engineer you have to go through all the schooling I'm sure it wasn't easy, and I'm sure you had a lot of late nights. What made you leave engineering to to pursue multifamily? So there's a couple of factors. One, I think maybe I didn't love the job so much, which was fine, right? It didn't enjoy what I was doing as much as I thought I did. And so the reason I was even in engineering in the first place was my dad was an engineer. His dad was an engineer. It came time for making a decision on a major. And I think I was probably like so many other people out there where you're like, I don't really know, but I'll just do something kind of that I've been, that's in the family. And so I went into engineering and if I could toot my own horn for a little bit, like I did really (laughs) well, like I actually graduated top of my class engineer. So it wasn't like when I made this transition into real estate that I did it because I wasn't doing well in engineering. I didn't have another choice. Like I was actually, you know, a top graduate and I landed an awesome engineering job, you know, quote unquote, awesome engineering job with a Fortune 500 pharmaceutical company. But there's just something missing. I don't know. Maybe I didn't fit the complete mold of an engineer. But for me, what I loved the most about my job was actually interacting with the people. And what I got to do the least in my job was interacting with other people. I was always (laughs) like in front of machinery or something like that, trying to make it work. So kind of didn't love the job, but then also probably the big component is in the background that kind of irritation started when I had read Rich Dad, Poor Dad, like a lot of people start. And I'm sitting here, I'm like, man, I'm looking at my dad, I'm looking at, you know, my grandfather when he he was still with us. And I go, they were working well into their 60s 
um, no sort of kind of retirement in sight. And I'm like, that's going to be me, right? If I, if I don't do something different right now, that's going to be me. So that was kind of when I was 25 years old, I actually ended up quitting engineering, going into real estate full time. And it was kind of that reason of, let me try to get to the investor business side of the cash flow quadrant as soon as possible so I can achieve financial freedom and retirement much, much earlier in life than, quote unquote, my family did. So you referenced cash flow quadrant. So I'm assuming you were reading some some Kiyosaki, the, the purple Bible. Yep. Is that what got you into multifamily specifically to get out of that uh, employee lifestyle? That got me thinking. I think... So I read it. I had already locked up my job. So I was like a senior in college. I had already locked up my job. I was kind of, if I'm being honest, I was on cruise control for that last year. Right? I was playing more golf than I probably was in class. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm set. Got this awesome job lined up. I'm going to go do exactly what I've been taught to do, what my, you know, generations of my family have done. And that's, you know, go get, you know, parlay my great education into a safe, secure job. And that's what I thought is how you achieve success in, you know, in, in America. And Robert Kiyosaki's book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, was definitely one of those, oh, crap, I'm doing something wrong here. And that was kind of the aha moment. And fortunately, I read it at, you know, at the time I was, you know, what, in my early 20s. Whereas, you know, I know some people that are picking up the book in their late 40s or, you know, 50s or something like that. And then that's when it's hitting them. Hey, maybe I need to, need to change something out. So very fortunate. I still went and got my engineering job, but it was kind of in the background of like, hey, let's try to find a way to get on the other side of that quadrant investor business side as soon as physically possible. I see. I see. So what, why multifamily? Why didn't you choose something else or try to e-commerce business or start selling, you know, random stuff online? Yeah, I don't know. Well, I actually didn't <laughs> know. Those would have been great options for me. Let's, let's take a step back. All right. I'm getting into real estate. What's the first thing I do? I start getting educated, right? I think that's how everybody needs to start. So I'm consuming books, podcasts, you name it, online forums, bigger pockets, rich dad, poor dad, like all that stuff. And what I did was I took the advice of the people that I was hearing on the podcast. And they were saying, a lot of them, their story went like this, right? They got into real estate. They started with single families because that's the easiest thing for us to kind of wrap our heads around. And then eventually there was a point where it clicked, hey, I can buy more units at once by doing multifamily. And it's not that much harder to do, right? So they eventually went to multifamily. And then when they get asked that question at the end of the interview, like, mm -hmm. hey, talk to your 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 past self. What would you tell your, 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 when you're first getting started, what would your advice be? And so many of them were like, I wish I just got into multifamily sooner. And so I'm sitting there, I'm like, all right, well, I'm just gonna go into multifamily. Let's, let's just listen to their advice right there. So that was kind of the reason why I did. I knew it was gonna be a little bit, harder because it is more the you know usually there's higher price tags on multifamily just because they're larger assets you start talking about syndication and, and different ways of buying them where partnerships are almost essential yes it was a little bit harder at first to kind of get my mind around it but i got surrounded by really good mentors and coaches and, and other investors where it kind of made that transition it pretty pretty straightforward that's good that's good so you 
you quit your job to do multifamily. And I know for a fact that there's a lot of people right now that still have their jobs as a W-2 and they're investing. And is are you telling me that you, if you're a full-time multifamily, how are you able to live? Like, how are you making money? <laughs> for everyone listening that has a job, do not, like I highly <laughs> caution doing it how I've done it. Now, my success, I've scaled quickly as a result of I can commit all of my time to building real estate. However, it has been incredibly, incredibly uncomfortable journey. And what do I mean by that? Many, many times on this journey, I am legitimately broke. I don't have a, a steady source of income, right? When I was an engineer, I had a great Great, you know, up upper five, six figure job, right? With benefits and stuff right out of college. It's like, you can't beat that. There's so much security and safety in that. And if you have families or you have kids and you have bills and stuff like that, leaving that income source to go into real estate full time, that, that might be a, a bit too far stretch, right? So I did it early on before bills started to stack up. But what you must realize is you have to find another way of creating money, creating income. Until, you know, that magical point where your passive income from properties, rents and stuff like that end up being enough that you can live off of. But that takes a while. It takes a couple of years. It takes multiple investments. So for me, I kind of have to live off of acquisition fees or wholesale fees, right? There might be an asset that I really, really want to buy, but I am flat broke. All of my money is in real estate. <laughs> so I'm like, I, I have to wholesale this for some sort of capital so that I can live, Right. And I can pay the bills, like the living expenses. Now, the cool thing is once all these properties that, you know, I, I took this step back, quote unquote, by going into real estate versus keeping my safe, secure salary. Once these deals that I've done get to a point in the next couple months or year or so, especially with rates, you know, hopefully coming down a little bit and we can refinance a large chunk of the, the money that I put in now things start to look a little bit brighter for my decision because, hey, now I can take that. I can go buy another property. I can you know, live off of it. But at the end of the day, I still have those same assets. They might not be produced. They'll be producing a little bit less cash flow, but we still have them. That way we can recycle the money that was put in and use it for other stuff. I love it. I love it. So from the time you left your W-2 to the time you got your first deal, how long did that take? And how did you get it? Good question. So I actually get this a lot. So I'm actually glad you mentioned this. So I left engineering and you're like, okay, well, I didn't know, I didn't know Jack about real estate. I mean, I had, I had read books, right. I, but I hadn't done anything. I, I guess technically you can say I've done it. I had done a house hack at that time, right. I, my primary residence was a house hack while I was still in engineering, but by no means does that mean, Hey, go out and start buying apartment <laughs> buildings. Like you need you need to know what you're doing a little bit more first. And so what I actually did was that first year, I was I, I told myself, I'm going to do some sort of engineering related kind of job to keep getting income, but also get the education, right? And so I had two options. I had one of going and working for maybe like a multifamily investment firm in town, right? Be an analyst, right? That would have been perfect with my engineering background. Or... That's still kind of working for somebody else, which I wasn't a fan of in my engineering job. So the other option was, hey, go get licensed as a realtor or a broker 
depending on what state you're in. But the key here is niche down and only focus on investment properties. So you can help broker investment properties. So you're, you're helping other people generate long-term wealth, but at least you're understanding how the transaction goes. You start understanding who the players are in your area as far as lenders, insurance brokers, you know, title companies and the such. And that's what I did. And we essentially did, you know, right out of my first year, right out of engineering, I did about, you know, close to 4 million, I think, in like volume, sales volume across probably 20 plus transactions. And that for me was incredible, incredible education of this is how you buy deals. And this is how you close deals. And the other cool thing is we'll probably get into it. That was my first experience with direct to seller as well, because I was reaching out to people directly to try to get them to list their property with me. Now, my business is built off reaching out directly to people to get them to sell their properties to me. I love it. And you, you're currently teaching other people how to do that, right? Can you, can you explain a little bit about that and how you're helping others and you're doing the, the monthly calls? Correct. Yeah. So, so kind of allude back to your, your question, your previous question is we ended up, I ended up buying my first investment property about a year after I had left engineering. So literally pretty much exactly a year after I left engineering, it was a 10 unit, awesome, awesome deal. We had sent a text message to the owner. We we didn't know. We were just kind of like, hey, you interested in selling? He said yes. And he gave us the price. And it was unbelievable. 10 units, $350,000 for a 1995 build. Yeah, it was in a tertiary market. But we, there was so much meat on the bone with increasing rents that it, it turned out to be a home, a home run. Right. So that was kind of the first taste of doing this direct to seller and buying them. Now, fast forward. So in two, two and a half years, I end up doing six other, you know, six total generational wealth buy and hold deals, multifamily. I wholesale a couple of those as well for capital, like we mentioned earlier. And then right now, even as we're talking, I just put two more multifamily assets under contract. And so we were able to scale this direct to seller into kind of like a, a well-oiled machine quickly. And, you know, part of it was the engineering background and part of it was just out of necessity, man. I had no job. <laughs> Brokers didn't take me serious. I had no experience, no job. <laughs> Lenders didn't take me serious. So I needed to find good deals to add value to partnerships so I can bring in capital partners to get the debt approved and I can build up my experience. So then brokers start sending me deals. Right. And so we crushed it. Right. If I'm if I want to do one of those pat myself on the back moments again, like in the last two and a half years, we've done uh, over a million dollars in equity we've created in those properties that we bought. And it's just because we got them at such amazing discounts because we were negotiating directly with the owners rather than playing some, you know, cat and mouse uh, song and dance through through a broker, or through um, some other a wholesaler or something like that. So that's a long way of saying we did something great. We realized that what we were doing has value. And what, what I wanted to do was similar to all my mentors and coaches who have helped me along the way, is I wanted to package it so that other people can also start doing direct to sell it. And that's kind of the mission, right? Let's try to make it as simple as possible. And that's when I founded and kind of created the no stress DTS.com platform, right? I mean, it's pretty simple in the name, no stress DTS, direct to seller, no stress. So just trying to remove the difficulties of 
the technology and the CRMs and the, you know, the calling and texting and emailing direct mail, all that stuff that goes into doing the business properly and having success, trying to kind of work everyone through that and help the students out, help our clients out with achieving financial freedom through off-market deal sourcing. I love it. I love it. Before I actually met you, and I've actually used your system myself, and it does work. People don't really understand like what it takes to actually sell a DTS or going directly to the seller because it's it's a lot it's a lot harder and more complicated than just finding the, the information and texting them. How are you going to know what you said a month ago? How are you going to keep track of these people? People text other people a day. I text my wife every day, so it gets kind of colluded. So the, the way you you put it all together just makes sense and it's really easy and great to use. So I highly, I highly recommend everybody to use it. So you said that, you know, now you don't have that steady income. So you make an acquisition fee. How do you determine that acquisition fee price? And also, how do you determine which properties to either wholesale or to keep? For the acquisition fee, I've... I go back and forth on this all the time. But the best way to describe the acquisition fee is if you're if you're just slapping a massive acquisition fee on a garbage deal, like you're you're an a-hole. Like you're you're just a bad deal sourcer. But what we'll do is we actually try to structure the acquisition fee kind of relative to how difficult that property was, how how significant was the relationship that we had to get that deal done. In many cases, the only way that deal got done was because of me and my strong relationship with that owner. I knew about their kids. I knew about their family. I knew about their hobbies, their goal, everything. They trusted me enough for that sale to go through. So as a result, I'm going to compensate myself more for that value, right? So usually, like if we're just doing a normal deal, it'll be around 3%. But sometimes if it's a lot harder to get or, or, if we're getting this thing at an absolute crazy discount, which happens a lot in direct to seller, then you have the ability to charge a little bit more on the acquisition fee. But just, you know, if you think about it, most of the time, you know, 90 to 100% of my acquisition fee is just going back into the deal as investment contribution. So I'm not, I'm not, Hey, going in here, getting a bunch of partners together, taking an acquisition fee, and then just kind of walking away. I'm fully invested in these deals. It's just the simple concept of, hey, I left my safe, secure engineering degree. <laughs> so the way that I'm going to get into these deals with the money is I'm going to roll my acquisition fees into them. So great deals. I end up charging a little bit more of an acquisition fee just because, you know, it took a little bit, you know, a little bit more work to get that, that deal done. Well, regardless if they use you or not, they would have to pay a fee because using a broker or a realtor is typically even a higher percentage. Somebody was saying up to 6%. And that 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 could be a lot. So I think obviously they don't see the work that you put in. And it's not easy against some of these owners because we were just talking about it. some people, you know, just don't trust people. They don't trust realtors. They don't trust salesmen. So the fact that you got the trust from them is a value in itself. And I would say it's more than the value. It's an actual competitive advantage. So salute to you. So what what is your goal with multifamily? I know you said you want to eventually have that passive income until you don't necessarily need to worry about anything. But are you just going to stop at that? Or what's the big picture for you? The goal is always going to be financial freedom. And the definition of that for my particular investing situation is this, right? So it, the best way I can kind of explain it is picture like a, a, a graph, 
right? And along the bottom of the graph is kind of time and then the, the horizontal or the vertical axis, axis, excuse me, is my income. So when I was on engineering track, it was just going to be like, you know, the nine to five job is kind of like that, just steadily getting higher and higher over time, right? You're going to slowly make more, you're going to get raises, you're going to get uh, promotions and stuff like that. So you're going to kind of on a linear track go up. Now, with the passive income side, as we know, that has a compounding effect, right? You can put, you can buy an asset, it creates a bunch of cash flow, you improve it, and then you refinance out, and you can go buy another asset with the same capital that you put into the first one. Now you have two assets, and three, and four, and then it's six, and then it scales exponentially. So financial freedom in my world is when the exponential curve of being the passive investments starts to take that, that, you know, starts to take off, so to speak, and actually overtakes what I would have made. Yeah. What I would have made as an engineer at that point. Right. And I've kind of, no pun intended, reverse engineered it a little bit where (laughs) my goal is 300 units by 30 years old. And right. So for me, 300 units by 30 years old will be enough passive income where I would be making the same amount as I would have as active income in engineering, which is crazy to think about that technically financial freedom for me is going to be in my thirties. Right. And in that way, Hey, what do I want to do with the rest of my time? Do I want to go golf? Yeah. I'll play a little bit more golf than I am now. (laughs) Don't get me wrong. Maybe I'll travel a little bit more than I am now, but the main thing is this is passive income. So now my time can be used to build more wealth. And what I mean by that is three ways. One, strategic business opportunities, right? I want to I start businesses and I'll have the time to capitalize on those opportunities. Two, the investment size, I want to start doing larger multifamily, right? Class A or class B, make it a class A type stuff. And lastly, probably the most important is when you have more time in the day, you have more time to spend on strategic relationships. And as we know, Real estate business are people-driven industries. So if you can take the opportunity to get on a flight and go interact with a mentor or a coach for a weekend, because, hey, why not, right? You're you're safe, secure financially that you can do that. That relationship is going to have exponential growth for you in the long run. So that's kind of the goal. Financial freedom in my 30s, and then kind of parlay that into uh, bigger investment opportunities, building businesses, and then deepening some strategic relationships. Financial freedom in the 30s. How old are you now? 28. 28 You got two more years, man. You got two more years. Yeah, so can you tell us a little bit about your portfolio too? So I know it puts you on the spot, but do you have a number in your head? Do you know how much you've wholesaled and how much you keep? Yep, so we've had, as far as unit count, we're at around 60 units right now. Wholesaled another... I don't know, 20, 25 in there as well. Some smaller multifamily. But the way that I do wholesaling isn't your, hey, a 2,000, 5,000 acquisition fee. My wholesale deals are usually properties that we were going to buy at such a discount that then I can wholesale them for thirty dollars to $60,000 wholesale fees. So it works out. It kind of rips a little piece of my heart out when I have to, <laughs> you know, hold, somebody else is going to go build generational wealth with that. But- Hey, sometimes I need the money to live off of, well, at least for now. In the future, I'll be able to buy them all. 
But that's kind of where I'm at. And then we have another roughly 30 units under contract. So hopefully we'll be turning 29 with close to 100 units under my belt. And then we got some work to do to double that in, you know, 29 to 30. And then in the early 30s as well, hopefully before I turn 31, I'll <laughs> technically have met my goal. And as long as I have 300 at that point, um, we'll, we'll have to have a, we'll have to have a party or something like that. Well, don't forget, once you turn 30, you still have an extra 364 days until you're 31. So you got a little bit of extra time. So what advice would you give like someone who's on the fence right now of where to either put their money or where to start with their investing career? They're engineers or maybe a pilot who knows and they're sick of what they're doing and they're trying to figure out how to get into the real estate world. The first thing they need to ask themselves is how much time, realistically, how much time per week can I commit to this real estate thing, right? To real estate investing. Now, if it's an hour a day or maybe not even that much, if you're slammed at work, right? Work is crazy. I do not recommend trying to get an active role in the real estate realm. That's going to be tough for you. What you want to start looking up is syndications, right? If you don't know what that is, you can reach out to Amika. You know all about it. You can reach out you know, on bigger pockets, you can go look it up online. But essentially, you want to be a limited partner in deals. And that makes you a passive investor in those deals, right? You're not going to make some crazy, crazy returns. But you're going to have solid returns and tax benefits, which is what you're going to want as a hard, hard working professional. And eventually, over time, you'll start accumulating a bunch of passive income that way, where you can choose to stop working so much. And that's when maybe it might be a good time when you freed up some, you know, more, more hours in the week to actually start finding deals yourself or raising a capital for deals or having a more active approach to the real estate realm. So that's my suggestion. Now, if you do have those hours, um, I'm biased towards deal sourcing. I love that because at the end of the day, you can be anyone. You don't have to have money as long as you find good deals you can put together the partnerships to buy them. People have, some people have a bunch of money. They don't have time. Some people like myself, we have a bunch of deals, but we don't necessarily have a bunch of, of money. And so it's a great synergy. You have the control over who you want to work with if you're the one that puts the deals under contract. So I highly, highly recommend that. Whether that's building great relationships with brokers or doing what I do, taking a more proactive approach and actually going out there and building relationships directly with sellers directly with property owners and buying properties at big discounts. I love it. I love it. And now we're going to go to the next segment of the show where I ask the same people the same three questions. All right. What was the most impactful speech or lesson that you've heard or listened to or watched or read that impact your career? Yeah. So you did give me a little heads up. So I was able to pull this up. <laughs> because it's actually a Tyler Perry quote and I want I don't I wanted to have it in front of me so I don't mess it up because if you're just getting started in real estate hear listen carefully to this stuff because it's very very impactful so Tyler Perry he was given a a commencement speech and he said there are people who come into your life like boosters of a rocket if you ever watch the rocket go into space the boosters fall off when it reaches a certain altitude. Some people are not equipped to handle the altitudes that you're going to. Don't be afraid when they fall off. 
they're not bad people. They just couldn't go where you're going. Let that sink in for a second. For you to grow, especially when you're, you know, you could be in one industry and now you want to make a complete 180 and start doing this real estate thing. Your family, your friends, your coworkers, your grandma, your grandpa, they're going to think you're crazy. But that's because they don't have the education in that space. They are scared. They are projecting their insecurities on you. And for you to reach your goals, to reach your altitudes, sometimes they're going to have to be like boosters. And some of them are going to have to fall off as you go. And you need to start getting surrounded with investors, mentors, and coaches who have done it, who are succeed, are succeeding and are successful in the real estate world. And that's who you need to be listening to for you know, encouragement and, and for education on how to do this business properly. I love that commencement speech. And uh, I just actually re recently watched, uh, I don't know if you've seen the Coinbase commercial, but it's it's amazing. Look it up. It basically just kind of says, you know, since since we've been young, we've always been told to do the exact same thing and then get in the, set, the exact same troubles as, you know, the past generations. And once you break out of that, then people are going to start calling you crazy. And, you know, things just, people don't like to see things that they're not necessarily used to. So it sounds like that's exactly what it is. Now, if there's two books that you can recommend someone to read, what would they be? So if you're just getting started, obviously, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, but, you know, that's an easy one. One of the bigger ones for me was Who Not How. I believe it's by Dan Sullivan. But for me, it was important because as an engineer, I always thought, hey, I can figure it out myself. I can do it myself. I can do it myself. I can do it myself. If you want to scale in this business, you have to learn how to delegate, automate, and partner, right? And so that's a great book for, you know, who, not how you're figuring out, you know, how to build your team out instead of doing it all yourself. And then also I'm a big Alex Ramosi fan. So $100 million offers and then $100 million leads as well are two great books to invest in. Now, if you could have dinner with anybody, dead or alive, who would it be and why? This was the one that I was like, I don't know, man. <laughs> great. These are some great ones. You know what I actually would think would be awesome just to get kind of their mindset is someone like the Rockefellers or or like Napoleon, right? Or something like that. Some of these these people that created just massive fame for themselves from being really good at either, you know, winning wars or or generating wealth. Right. I think it would be so awesome just to sit down and kind of just figure out how like see how they they just carry themselves in life and the little stuff that they do day to day discipline wise that is carried off, you know, carried over and been just absolutely successful in, you know, an almost legendary in, in most accounts. hundred percent. Lastly, how can people reach you or want to they want to start DTS and join your program? How can they get to that? Anyone who wants to do direct to seller, do not do this this thing alone. Reach out to me. I offer free strategy calls, right? Even if we don't know obligated, even if we're not working out, I want to help you help point you in the right direction. Check that out. No stressdts.com. And then if you guys just, you know, love what you hear, right? For me, I, you know, I was always listening to podcasts and stuff, and I would reach out to the people on the podcast because I wanted to surround myself with those individuals do the same thing reach out to me cashflow cowboy or justin warzeniak on social media 
Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn. Let me know that you listen. Let me know that you got encouraged. Let me know that you're doing something different in your uh, you know, real estate technique because of something that you heard here today. Because at the end of the day, encouragement and support system are an absolute necessity. And I love to be that for other people. And I love to hear feedback from others so that I can stay encouraged in my you know, goals and my journey as well. I love it. Well, Justin, thank you so much for joining the show. And we'll have to do this again soon. You bet. Thanks for having me. Yep. That was Justin, everybody. At the beginning of the podcast, I told you I gave you three actual steps that you can do today in order to get you 1% closer to your goal to buy your first real estate investment. Before then, please like and subscribe if you enjoyed this podcast. And on the Apple Music Key, please rate and comment if you enjoyed, or just rate whatever you like and what you honestly feel. Number one, go to nostressdts.com. That was Justin's website. Justin was 25 years old when he left his six-figure paying engineering job, and he was able to go full-time in the multifamily, and he is still thriving. He's literally giving you the blueprint on how he did it. Go on the website and look it up. If you can afford his product, then at least do a 30-minute free call with him, and he can help guide you, or you can at least get some information from, from him. Number two, he talked about acquisition fees. Go online, look more about acquisition fees, how you can possibly get one, what they are, and the different percentages of what you can receive. Number three, read Robert Kiyosaki's Cashflow Quadrant. He explains what a B, I, S, and E are. And if you don't know what it is, read it. It explains what you are now and where you want to get to. For example, I'm a I and I'm an E. Until next time, see you next Wednesday.